Welcome to All Road 65 Max Radio, where the road ahead gets brighter as we journey toward truth, traveling through our dreams and inspiration into a new reality. It's time, and your ticket is waiting. All aboard All Roads Lead 65 Max with Pamela Henderson. Greetings. Thank you for joining me on BBS Radio, All Roads, 65 Max Radio. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson. My focus is my mission statement, to help create a quality of life through social growth, inspiring jewels to become leaders by establishing partnerships with corporations, nonprofits, donor sponsors, volunteers, the community, and abroad. Please join me every other Tuesday at noon on BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max Radio. My special guest today is Mr. Dan Hendrickson, who is an award-winning author who likes to mix his stories with action, adventure, and romance with real-world issues. Dan says, in some circles, he has been labeled a bit of a feminist because he tells many stories using a strong female protagonist to show that women make fantastic heroes. To a big degree, Dan owes this enthusiasm to strong female characters such as I. <laughs> to the fact that he has two highly motivated and successful daughters who are his real life heroes. Dan also has a son who is an officer in the United States Coast Guard and gives him lots of inspiration to write about. Finally, thank you for this interview chance, Dan, and welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here, Pamela, and thank you for inviting <laughs> me. So we have a lot to discuss. You're very inspiring, and I do appreciate you again giving me this interview chance. But tell me a little bit about you, Dan. Well, um, I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I've been here since uh, 1996. I moved here. Um, I'm, I'm with a, a ministry, and my wife and I have been taking ministry assignments oh, since the late 80s. And we came here to uh, do Bible classes and stuff like that. And uh, But we were uh, had a young family at that point. And we decided that we were going to move to volunteer work. And when we did that, we opened up a business here uh, in the Lancaster area. Now, uh, if you're from the East Coast, you probably know right away that Lancaster means Mannheim and Mannheim means the Mannheim Auto Auction, which is the largest auction in the world. And my background, um, some of my background secondly, is I work on cars. I do body work and stuff like that. So I opened up a detail shop and a body shop in that area. So I've been here ever since. Uh, my... Uh, Scholastic background is I have a uh, degree in practical theology and a degree in journalism. And uh, I have always loved to write. I've always had a passion for writing. Um, I thought I would be a newspaper reporter at one time. And I did try my hand at that for a little while, right when I graduated from um, Casper College in Casper, Wyoming, back in 1985. But I didn't like it that much. Um, I thought it was a little restrictive. And so I kind of fell away from it. But... 
as I went on into the ministry and, and as anybody that's been in the ministry knows, you work a lot of different jobs secularly because a lot of times the jobs are not well paid or they don't pay at all. Right. And uh, so I took on a lot of different experiences. I've been involved with law enforcement. I've been involved with EMT and firefighting. I've been involved with security. Um, I've you know been involved, involved in a lot of cars and things like that. And uh, I was about 2017. I really started getting the itch to write again. And I wrote my first book. I had a story just burning inside me about a young girl who had to fight a crime boss and all that. And it was called The Good Fight. The girl's name is Danielle. And I based it on some crime that happened in my area back in the early 2000s uh, in at the auto auction where they were smuggling drugs and money through cars that they sold at the auctions to get them out throughout the rest of the country. Well, and my protagonist was the daughter and the granddaughter of the owners of that company, and they tried to take it over and tried to kill her family, but they ran smack dab into her, and boy, did they get a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was my first book, and it was it was it was somewhat successful. It was self published, and I just kept going with it. And my next book was The Cartel Crusher. It was about another girl who. Uh, went after crime in her and she's a Mexican girl and she was the, she was the daughter of a Mexican president and comes from a very wealthy family, but a very uh, enigmatic Coast Guard commander who happened to be the father of my first protagonist from the first book saves her life from being raped and killed by a uh, modern day pirate. She changes her lifestyle, she changes her viewpoint on life and she wants to go fight crime herself, be like her hero. So she enrolls in the um, heroic uh, military academy in Mexico and becomes a military officer. And then she joins a task force. This really actually is a task force in Mexico called the Cartel um, Task Force. And they were going after, you know, taking out the cartels. And so my story is how she goes after the cartels and stuff. And so it just goes on from there. Um, you know, my latest book that we're talking about today, well, it's not my latest, but my second latest, is Brandy Ballad of a Pirate Princess. Yes. Now, Brand- I don't know if you want to get into that in a few minutes, but that's, a, you know, that's another protag- female protagonist um, who has to rise up and conquer some of her own inner demons and uh, her bloody past and embrace the abolitionist cause back in those times during uh, the Caribbean in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s. And so she meets a very cool set of uh, English uh, uh, naval men that are involved with the abolitionist movement, falls in love with one of them, and then ends up having to save him. And so that's a little bit about me. Yeah, that's a lot. Thank you so much. You did. I mean, uh, those were a couple of questions I was going to ask you and everything, but you clarify that. So how do you come up with your titles? with your books, regarding your books? Well, one of the things that I always know about when I'm writing a book is I know my ending. Um, That keeps me focused. Uh, So I know how it's going to end. Most of the time I dream up the end before I dream up the beginning. (laughs) And so, you know, my, um, my, 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 uh, my titles come from the narrative of the book, the story, um, like Brandy, Ballad of a Pirate Princess. You know, it's it's a love story along with a drama and a lot of other things. And so I got the idea of a ballad or a song or something. And, uh, you know, or it shows a lot of drama, but it also has a, a promises a happy ending. <laughs> and um, 
Brandy's ballad was that she went from being a girl born into piracy, raised by her mother to be a ruthless pirate, and later on becomes someone who opposes the pirates of the Caribbean of that time, because most of the pirates of that time were slavers as well as uh, marauders and, and stuff like that. And uh, so it just that one just developed because of the way the story. And usually that's the way that all my um, titles develop is from the from the narrative of the story. I, I wrote one book called The Living Legend, and uh, it was about a guy who was a Navy SEAL, and he had to go and rescue some um, people from human trafficking. And in order to do that, he had oh. to take on some. Um, he had to take on the persona or the techniques of a Kenyan hero who fought against slavery back in his day, a hundred years ago. And the Kenyan people called him the legend. And so in his quest to be successful against the modern day uh, human traffickers, uh, he, uh, they, they said, the legend lives. You've, you've remade the legend. You make the legend live. And so therefore I called the book, The Living Legend. And he's one of the main characters throughout my last enemy series, which are my first three books. And everybody called him the living legend during that time. But I never explained why they called him that. In the book, The Living Legend, I explain it. Wow. So that's basically how my, my, my titles kind of come out. Okay. And you stated, which my question to you is, how we make difficult soul-searching choices about which path to take in life. Can you elaborate about that, please? I think everybody has to go through that. It just depends on, um, you know how involved they want to get in a certain situation. Uh, as my character, Brandy, um, she was raised as a uh, pirate. Her mother was training her to be a ferocious fighter. Her father was uh, one of the most feared pirates in the Caribbean. Um, he was a bloodthirsty killer, and so was her mother. And but one day, the English caught up with it. The English Armada um, in that area, the Caribbean, caught up with the ship, and uh, her father was killed by his second mate, who betrayed him to the English uh, admiral at that time, and her mother was executed. Her uncle had to get her off that ship. Remember, she's only 15 years old. She's had never known any other life except being that of a pirate. Her uncle uh, got her off the ship and snuck her to Kingston, where they set up a um, a tavern. And uh, for 15 years, they lived there, you know, just in a nice quiet, peaceable life as tavern owners. And Brandy became very successful, and so did her uncle. Uh, so she could have hit. She could have just, uh, you know, left the pirate life in that way and just kind of hid there in, in Kingston and, and and never been noticed again. But one night, uh, a, a man by the name of um, Captain Arthur Joshua, who was one of the most famous English sea captains of his day in my book, walks in there with his first officer, John Edwards, and they're both part of the abolitionist movement, and they, uh, they run a ship called the Morning Star. Mm -hmm. And uh, during that time, uh, she ends up getting involved with them through a bunch of adventures. At one point, she has to rescue him from a bunch of thugs out on the street trying to uh, kill them because he stood up for a um, former slave girl who was uh, serving in the tavern at that time, and he had to John Edwards, the other protagonist, had to stand up for her and rescue her from this really bad guy from Louisiana. And so he kind of gets that Brandy's heartstrings with that one. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so she, her and her, uh, 
her mentor, who is a Shaolin priest, um, go in and rescue him on the docks. And turns out that her old, uh, her father's old first mate, Don Lamoche, has grown very powerful with the uh, um, Kingston governor, who is also the former um, admiral that attacked her ship. And they're all trying to uh, cause some division and some problems with the uh, the United States in that they know war's coming. They know there's going to be a war over the issue of slavery, and they want to side with the South to uh, um, to uh, in in which really did happen in history. That's what England did. They sent a lot of arms and a lot of uh, guns and weapons, and they made a lot of deals with the South to bolster their army. And uh, so. They they go out against this, you know. They're 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 abolitionists. Now a lot of people don't know about the abolitionist movement in um, the Caribbean, but there were a series of ships that down, uh, you know, I'm talking right around Florida and Louisiana and all those areas. That a lot of them were commanded by former British naval officers who were very passionate about uh, abolition and the freedom of the slaves. In fact, it was a uh, King William that freed the slaves back in the 1830s in England. And so a lot, and he was called the Sailor King, and he was the one that, uh, through his administration, freed the slaves in, for, for, in the British Empire. So a lot of these um, English officers back then were totally into that. And some of them, after they retired, they became abolitionists, and they would go to like the coast of Florida or the coast of Louisiana, and they'd pick up runaways, and they would bring them to maroons in the Caribbean where they could live free. Um, that's what, uh, Captain Joshua and his first mate, uh, John Edwards was doing. So Brandy, um, after falling deeply low with John Edwards, um, decides that she wants to follow him in that lifestyle, but he gets kidnapped by her old, uh, her father's first mate, Don Lamoche, and, um, gets in some serious trouble. And so does the little, um, former slave girl that was at the, uh, at the tavern. So she has to go back and she has to find her father's ship, which was called the Red Witch, and uh, and find the crew that uh, served under her father. And um, due to a curse that her mother laid on them saying, you got to keep this ship and this crew together until my daughter comes back to claim you, um, they're all waiting for her to come back. Well, she never wanted to come back. She never wanted to claim it, but she did. She goes back and she claims it and she takes that ship and she sails it in to rescue John Edwards and, and the slave girl named Devante, the former slave girl. And so that's her drama and how it all plays out. And at the end, you know, they find love and happiness and stuff. Wow. Wow. And how many pages is your books? Um, my my books run about well, word wise. They're probably in the neighborhood of uh, eighty five to eighty to ninety thousand words. Brandy is about about three hundred pages, a little less, probably two eighty eight, three hundred. But it's it's the bigger size here. There, beautiful so cover, is, really you. nice yeah. cover. This Did you design a, that yourself? Did you? No, I have a very you? talented girl in Connecticut. Her name is Shelley, and she does my book covers. And okay, she's, she does a good job. Good mm -hmm. She does a good job. So tell me, what, okay, so I don't know if I asked this question, but I'm going to ask again, okay. because I was reading about you and you just had so much that I wanted to talk about. However, tell me, what are we willing to do for love? What do you, what, in your opinion, what are we willing to do for love? 
you know, love is a selfless thing. Um, you know, when you when you're when you truly love, you're willing to put yourself second, and you're willing to put whoever you love before yourself. So there's probably a whole lot you're not willing to do for love. I mean, it's it's it's, right. it's a, um, you know, love is selfless. Love is giving. Um, you know, and if it falls within the parameters of your your ethical stand in life, you're you're just about willing to do anything um, for love. And that's that's what I, I tried to expose with Brandy. You know, I really tried to expose with all my characters. It's the real core motivation in why they change. Um, you know, okay. Brandy had no interest in um, ever being involved with the sea again, ever be involved with the drama that goes on. She was very, very content just to run the tavern and make money and, 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 and take care of her little family there in Kingston. But when she uh, fell in love with John Edwards and she embraced his cause, which he had dedicated his life to, which was the abolition movement, um, right. she took on that, that, that cause for her own. And so she, uh, gave everything she had. She went back and claimed the ship she didn't want to be on. She uh, she risked her life and the life of that crew to go in and save uh what wasn't a done deal. You know, it wasn't she didn't know what was going to happen or not. She just she took a chance like anybody else. Um so that was her her motivation was was the love for in this case the man. And I thought it was kind of a cool twist to make uh you know the man kind of a damsel in distress and the woman the hero on like a knight in shining armor, you know, and right. I think you can enjoy that. I think they have a lot of fun with that. And I gave her all the tools she needed to. She was trained by a, uh, a Shaolin priest, which is a very, you know, proficient martial artist. And she was taught how to fight and she was taught how to think. And she, she you know, she had the tools to do it. So I, I try to make it as believable as possible. Yes, I see. That's why I had to ask you that question. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So tell me, how do you blend high stakes action with human drama? That's a good, that's a good question, you know, because I mean, there's always the uh, tendency to think, oh, that doesn't really happen in real life, you know, there's right. kind of that, all, all that fighting and stuff. And um, like I said, I've been involved with uh, law enforcement and, uh, you know, emergency medical technician and, and firefighting. I've also um, have, ver have a very vast military background in my family. Um, my dad was in World War II and he was wounded. My stepfather was in World War II, Korea and Nam. So I grew up with a lot of stories and a lot of, and, and a lot of understanding of what really happens in, in, in the, uh, in the fighting theater. Plus I have a pretty extensive background in martial arts. Um, I studied under a man named Bill Shaw, who is a Hollywood stuntman and fight choreographer. And I studied with a man named Troy Miller, who's also a, Hollywood stuntman and fight choreographer that studied under Bill Shaw with me. And uh, we all learned, you know, how to formulate and articulate fight scenes so that they're mm. realistic um, in order to teach them. You know, you got to, we used to call them one steps or um, options where we'd, we'd, we'd uh, make a series of attacks and then show how you could counter that attack and how you could be, uh, you know, prevail in that attack. Well, when you teach that enough in a class, you know, you learn how to articulate so the students can get it where you, know, you do a block, a punch, a throw, something like that. One, two, three, have your, your, your steps in the right point, in the right way. It's easy to articulate, then it's easy to write it. So blending that into real life drama where 
you know, um, a guy's yanking on a girl and he's trying to get her to sit on his lap and it's very inappropriate and it's very disrespectful. And for a man who understands uh, how to be, uh, you know, how to handle a situation like John Edwards, he walks up there and he confronts the guy and he uses moves that are realistic and you could, you could actually visualize that they could happen. And, you know, so I tried to keep it that, I mean, I know there's a lot of where, I just watched John Wick 4, and I mean, it's constant fighting. It's really cool. Constant it was, it fighting. Was, it yes. was so fun to watch, you know, and he's, he is brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant with his uh, choreography and stuff. Is that real life? Probably not. <laughs> but you know what? He did it. He did it. The drama that he put into it made it so it, it, it worked where he's like, oh, okay, if I was in his shoes, if I was having to go through what he's going through, I guess that's what he had to do, you know? So that's what I try to do in my book. I try to make the, the drama of the uh, situation equal the response. And that's what makes it believable and people will follow it. Very good. Good. So I have a question. So what I do, I help at-risk youth, which I am girl empowerment. My focus are girls from 14 to 24 years old, and I help them build their customer service skills. Okay. And, um, you know, everything we do is all about customer service skills. What we're doing right now, we're interacting, mm -hmm. it's customer service skills. However, some of the girls, they come with some issues. They have behavioral problems. And these are things that they do that has became habits. So we're changing that focus. And I always look for different resources outside of the foundation when I discuss and have interviews with renowned celebrities like yourself. So my question to you is, what book would you suggest that I can have within the foundation to use it as a module, you know, for a focus group and learning? Because you have some very interesting drama and some real life situations going on so you have can you give me any advice about that well if you're looking to um my opinion if you're looking to uh do something with like rage issues mm -hmm. um anger issues stuff like that i think brandy really goes into that um, okay i thought that's, so. that that's uh something that i you know i really had to work with on her because her mother was called the scarlet mistress and she was uh you know she was a, a just a rage monster and she had, she had good reason, <laughs> um, you know, she was, uh, she was sold into, uh, servitude. She was, uh, uh, to, uh, an, an English, uh, governor who used her as basically as a sex slave. And she was only 13 years old when this happened. And at one point she just got fed up with it and she grabbed a knife and cut his throat. And then she fled and she found sanctuary with pirates and what she did was she just find the strongest man she could find to not only protect her, but teach her. And, and she would just jump from one to the other until she ended up with Brandy's father, Eric Erasmus, who was the plague. He was the most notorious pirate in the Caribbean. And that's how she raged her daughter. That's how she taught her daughter how to function. You had, you know, you had to channel and use your rage to get done what you needed to get done. And so Brandy, that's, that's all she knew. 
you know, she just knew that like with her rage gave her power. That's how she, um, she, uh, confronted Don Lamonche right there at the beginning of the book. And she cut off his hand and put out his eye with a, with a dagger that her dad gave her. And, um, so how I countered that in the book was she met Zhang Yong. Now Zhang Yong is a, um, a Shaolin priest who journeyed to the Caribbean, um, on kind of a, a mission to help people grow and understand his culture. And he took on um, disciples that would study the uh, the Kung Fu that he had to teach. And Brandy was his main student. And his whole quest was Brandy with Brandy was to get her to the point that he could award her something that I called the Master Swords. And the Master Swords were awarded to a Shaolin priest disciple who achieved like 12 levels of perfection um, in control. And but in order to uh, get the master sword, she had to uh, learn how to wield a couple of sticks that were the same size and weight as the swords. But also she had to learn how to wield a, a Chinese fighting fan. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but Chinese fighting fan is really beautiful to watch. It's almost like a ballet. And okay. I emphasize that with her character in that that's how Zhang taught her how to control her emotions and control her rage because she had to learn how to be gentle and precise and fluid with her movements and her thinking in order to use that fan effectively. And uh, they had a couple of arguments about the fan because she didn't like it. You know, she'd rather be (laughs) out there hacking her, you know, hacking her prey to, uh, to pieces with some swords, but he wanted to teach her the fan. And uh, it was that and her love affair with John Edwards that showed her how to control herself and how to how to embrace the power of love and all that. And so that's the rage thing, um, you know, in, in, in finding, uh, you know, people that are not disciplined or maybe don't have the uh, don't have the drive to put together, you know, a good uh, curriculum in their life to understand how to, you know, take on tasks and, and accomplish them, I'd say the cartel crusher. And she didn't have any okay. rage issues, but she was a, you know, she was a debutante. She just was rich and she was growing up and she had everything handed to her. And all of a sudden she decided she didn't want to do that. And she just, she wanted to, she wanted to make her own way and she wanted to accomplish on her own merits. And so she enrolled in the uh, heroic uh, military academy and she graduated the top of her class then she went into the uh, anti-cartel task force for, and uh went through that kind of training which is basically the same kind of training that we do in the united states for uh, our uh, special forces and mm. she excelled in that and then she went after a couple of cartels and took them down and it was all systematic growth and and development in her life and taking on you know the idea that she had to accomplish something it just couldn't be handed to her and you show the, the emotions he has sometimes when it looks like they're handing it to her because she is the daughter of a former president. But uh, she proves otherwise that she did it on her own merits. I like Brandy. Can I yeah. meet her? Can I meet Brandy <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah. So my next question would be, tell me why you like to write about big problems that you believe ordinary people can solve well i just believe that you know every extraordinary person that has ever lived at one time was an ordinary person and they 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 catch a cause they see something wrong and they want to fix it and they just grow into it they develop themselves 
they 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 reach deep inside themselves and find something maybe they didn't know was there because they have a cause. They have something that is calling them to be bigger than what they were. Right. And, you know, so that's why I believe that it's always ordinary people that rise up to be extraordinary people, you know, and, but they don't, they're not, they're not extraordinary when it happens and they make a lot of mistakes and they have a lot of growth and they have a lot of things they got to go through to get there. Mm-hmm. But it's their commitment to that cause that, um, that makes them become extraordinary and they can solve problems. I think that, I think history's pretty much proved that over the years. Absolutely. You know, know, it's just uh, anybody can rise up and be anything they want if they put their head to it. And I really believe that with all my heart. It's just available. You know, if you got something you really want to change, go out and change it. You know, you're going to get, you're going to get fought against. You're going to get, you're going to, you're going to run into wall after wall after wall. But it's just like the river, you know. You got a big old swelled up river going like the Mississippi that's just going down. You never hear it because it's just silent, you know. But if it goes over rocks, if it goes over obstacles, then it makes a beautiful sound. That's like a person's life. You never have any obstructions, you know, anything holding you back. You're never going to grow. You're never going to become more powerful. Um, You know, water gets cleansed by the rocks that it goes over. You know, you never want to drink just out of a big old muddy river. That's right. If you go if you go to a, a, a really you know, fast flowing stream that's got rocks and, 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 and waterfalls and stuff like that, you'll find a lot cleaner water. I do agree. I do agree. So my next question to you is what is one of, what is your proudest accomplishment? From all the books you have written, what is one of the proudest accomplishments that you can say this was it. This this made me feel who I am today. Oh wow! <laughs> Are you talking just the books or just anything? Just anything. Oh. my proudest accomplishment is uh, being a Christian minister. Um, that's really my life's calling, and uh, I try to put Christian principles in my writing, but I try to make. I don't want to be preachy. And, and and I don't want to turn people off by just being too religious. I want to I want to show Christian principles in in fun life because I really believe that in our day and time, people get a lot of their quote unquote doctrine for life from their entertainment. You know, I mean, sometimes you could talk about people's uh, you can sit there and just make up a conversation with somebody on the street and start talking about what they believe in. And I swear, sometimes it's straight off of Friends or yeah, uh, that's true. Rock or, or or different TV shows that they watch or the, or some of the books. You know, a lot of people don't read self-help books. A lot of people don't don't even read the Bible, but they, they but they are so into their entertainment and they take a lot of the stances from that entertainment and make it part of them because they connect emotionally with their entertainment. So one of the great things I like to do is is use entertainment to give biblical principles. And sometimes, you know, it's it's very apparent in my books and sometimes it isn't. But that's that's really what I'm trying to accomplish is just showing some good, solid biblical morals and principles in my writings that can be entertaining and and people like it and have fun with it. That is so true. How do you use journalistic style? of present, which for a tense third person to put readers 
in a you are there or as it happens vantage point? Well, you know, you have to go back to my um, my journalistic professor when I was going to college, Dr. Jones, and he okay. taught us to uh, write in third person present tense uh, when we're doing a story. And okay, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you right there. Explain that to me because I haven't heard of that. Explain okay. well, what do you mean. Well, third person um, in writing is like an omniscient view. Okay. Um, I'm not given just one person's perspective of the situation. It's like uh, it's like when you're watching a movie, you know, maybe the camera focuses in on the main protagonist for a little while, but then it also gives you, you can see everything else going around. It's not like you're just seeing through their eyes. It's okay. the whole view, okay? It's it's watching the video and, and seeing um, movement going on in back, seeing something subtly happen over here. All that. So that's writing in the third person where you don't you don't just give it from the protagonist view or anything like that or the antagonist. You try to give it from an omniscient point of view. Okay. okay. And then present tense is taking all the um uh instead of saying he punched, you say he punches. Um instead of saying he walked over there, he says as he walks, you know, and it just right. and what my what my uh, professor said when you do that is you, especially the news story, you keep everybody right there. And he said, and, he, and we were all like, we were all studying to be newspaper writers. And he says, look, we have to complete, compete with TV and radio. And TV and radio has overtaken the printed word. And so what we need to do is we need to make it, make the printed word a little bit more exciting to these people when they read a story. So okay. put it in the third person present tense and get them right there in the middle of the story. Even if the story happened three days ago, doesn't matter because you're 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 narrating it like it just happened. And I, mean, I thought it was pretty effective back then. I thought, wow, this would be a great way to write a book. And you know, that's the way I've written all seven of the novels that I've written so far, and I have two more coming out um, in the next year and a half or so, and they're also written in uh, third person present tense. And I, I really love that form of writing, and I'll probably stick with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that would be great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell me, how how do you go about inserting realistic action packed fight scenes based on your martial arts work and having been trained under legendary Hollywood stuntman Bill Shaw? Well, see that's uh Bill used to tell us when I and this is back in the early 1980s when I was studying with him, he used to tell that if you can't see it up here, you can't put it here. And he said, you have to be a planner. You have to be able to visualize, mentally visualize what you want to do, and you have to be able to put it into systematic operation. And that's pretty contrary to what most people think uh, fighting is, because they think you just get in there and start mixing it up. Uh, most people that get in there and start mixing it up they're the ones that usually lose because they don't have a plan. They don't have a, they don't have a point of attack. The guy that's been trained, the guy that um, has a, a couple of scenarios already thought through for any different kind of attack, if he knows what he's going to do next and he goes for it instead of just trying to react to the other guy, um, then he's going to have more of an, uh, an opportunity. That's why the boxers work on so many different combinations. And if you watch them, you'll see that. They don't just throw one punch at a time and just absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're, they, you know, they got a left, a right, an uppercut. You know, they, they got, they got combinations. They got footwork. And so 
what Bill taught us to do is learn how to, you know, see that in our minds with the techniques that he taught us. And, you know, he took us through like all the basic, intermediate, and advanced techniques of, of certain martial arts, like, you know, uh, Jet Kune Do, which is Bruce Lee's martial art, uh, Wing Chun, which is an older um, uh, Chinese martial arts. And he said, you know, learn how to put these things together um, before you go out there and do it. And it's never going to be perfect. You know, there's always going to be fluidity to it and stuff like that. But if you come in with a plan, if you come in with an with an idea, I'm going to I'm going to lead with this and I'm going to follow with this and then I'm going to try to do this. He says, you know, seven, eight times out of 10, it's going to work. And so when um, writing the uh, action scenes in my books, it was very easy for me because I spent a lot of years teaching martial arts. And when you're teaching kids and young people um, how to formulate these plans and how to execute them, uh, you learn how to say it just right. And you learn how to give it so that they can get it just right. And so writing it in a, in a, in a fight scenario just became very easy. Wow. Yeah. You know, I grew up, well, when I became the age of, I would say, 17, 18, I started kickboxing. Mm-hmm. And Billy Blanks was the man for me. I mean, he had all the moves and he didn't, like you said, he did different moves. Uh-huh. And as I advanced with my kickboxing, I put a, like I used to tie my, um, scarf around my eyes because you know now you know here I am to myself I'm one of the baddest girls out here and so I started like mentally trying to focus on my movements Mm -hmm. so I can understand am I jabbing at the right or the left and I made it out of a self-defense for myself Mm. because I wanted to make sure because I felt that times are changing and once I've been sexually harassed. So I wanted to make sure that no matter if I can't see, I can see you, like you said, being able to see here Mm -hmm. mentally. So I have to see behind me as well and understand what is coming close to me. So do you think that is a good a, a good thing to do, you know, oh, absolutely. myself. Yeah. Because when you have a plan, when you have a mental uh, idea of where you're going, and this, this goes just for about anything, you know, anything you do, whether it's you know, if you're fighting to defend your life or if you're cleaning a car, you know, uh, if you know where you're going, it, 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 it blocks out distractions and it also keeps fear in check. Absolutely. Especially in yeah, keeps fear in check. So, like, you know where you're going. You're, you got a plan. It's not just, oh, that didn't work, and you freak out. No, just because that doesn't work, you got the next move to do. Then you got the next one after that, and then you just keep going. And, you know, if you got to add a, a block or something in there while you're going for your plan, then that's okay. But you know where you're going. You don't have to be, oh, everything just fell apart. Because um, right. I still have a, I, I and I still know where I want to be, and I know how I want to get there. And so, yeah, 
That's really, that's, and that's a great exercise, you know, blindfold. I don't know if you did sparring. We did blindfolded sparring, but it's also blindfolded practice. And we did it all the time because, you know, sometimes your eyes can, if you don't focus them properly, they'll, you'll get distracted by something you see that's not important, yes. you know, but focusing Absolutely. on the moves is very important. Absolutely. So tell me about reflections on the global slave trade that pirates were involved in. Well, um, you know, back then, and, uh, you know, pirates uh, didn't get, you know, I'm talking about the 1840s, 1850s, and then the 1860s. Um, As far as having ships to, you know, maraud and and, uh, sink and and take their treasure, it just started getting a little hard because the uh, British Navy was starting to build up in that area. So was the United States Navy. Um, and uh, a lot of the uh, Spanish-controlled territories had their own navy in there, so people were looking out for these guys at this point. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't like in the uh, in the 1700s where they had a little bit more freedom. So they had to figure out a way um, to make money, and with the British Empire, uh, you know, freeing the slaves back in the 1830s and making it illegal for British. Uh, um, ships and stuff like that to carry slaves, uh, you know, the, the slavers had to rely on another source. And a lot of these uh, these pirates became that source. They started sailing to, you know, Cape Town and Africa and sailing their ships to, you know, South Africa and, 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 and picking up, you know, slaves and bringing them back to the United States. And so that's how they made their money. Um, so and they were protected uh, to a point by, you know, the United States Navy and the Spanish Navy, the British Navy really didn't like it, but they didn't want to, you know, they, they did not want to uh, get into a war, so to speak, yet. I mean, they were, you know, they were always willing, but they weren't. And there was a lot of controversy in Queen Elizabeth's court back then. Um, Victoria, I'm sorry, Queen Victoria in the 1850s. There was a lot of controversy <laughs> in her court because she was the queen during this time. Uh, she took over right after King William. And she wanted to maintain the abolitionist uh, standpoint of keeping, you know, all peoples free. But her husband, Prince Albert, wasn't so much. He wanted to get the United States back under British control. And he saw an opportunity where if he could really bolster this whole conflict between the North and the South, that we'd get in there, we'd tear ourselves to pieces to the point that we'd be so weak the Brit- the British Empire could come back in and take us over. So mm. he was the prince, you know, and his wife, Queen Victoria, was also obviously his um, his superior, but he had a lot of power and influence. And so you'll see that right up until 1861, if you study history, he he was really adamant about accomplishing this, but he died right at the, the onset of the Civil War. And so Queen Elizabeth really did do a lot to try to get britain out of that but with back to the pirates back to the pirates um they just used that as a way of making money back at that point and so these abolitionists that didn't have ties to anybody they would often pursue them and try to try to save those people at sea which is a little harder because you know you start firing on a ship with a bunch of people in 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 the uh the bows you could hurt them too so but the the pirates also were after them too because they were they didn't like them because they were they were hurting business for them. Right. So it was a 
it was it was a it was a very controversial time um, in 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 the history of the world back then, and it was a very growth time, you know, to see the. But I, I think it's really cool to see the the heroes that rose up and right. and said, "Hey, we don't want this in our world anymore. This is awful. This is this this has been a blight on human civilization since the beginning of time. We need to get rid of this and slavery." And, you know, ended up the United States went to war over it, which, by the way, we were the only country that ever did that, um, where its citizens actually said, hey, we don't want this. And other half of the citizens said, yes, we do. And we went to war over it. Um, that's pretty incredible. And that uh, that the guys who got that, that wanted, uh, you know, abolitionists and completely resolve of slavery over, they're the ones that won. And <laughs> so. And on that, I'm just thinking about my next book because I'm writing the sequel to Brandy, and I'm I'm right there in the 1850s and early you know early 1860s where all this is going on. So I'm I'm dealing a lot with this. But, uh, that's another <laughs> that was story. My next question. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you was you going to uh, write a sequel to Brandy? Yeah, because yeah. it seems very interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, yeah. Uh, so I hope I answered your question about it. But that's that's where the pirates now. You know, modern day piracy still exists. It exists on a smaller scale. I mean, you know, they can't go hunt merchant ships today because you got these big liners that are all metal and everything. And if anybody ever attacked one of those, they would get in so much trouble. They'd have the United States Navy on them. They'd have everybody else on them. But they do do it at a, at a much smaller level. You know, they're they, right. like. Uh, Little attack ships will go and attack yachts and stuff and rod them, and that that still goes on a lot. And then they also transport drugs, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know, money laundering, and they're also involved with human trafficking uh, throughout the whole world. You know, these these modern day pirates, but it's it's a different story today than it was back then. Anyway, oh, of course. So tell me why so many people enjoy a heroine with criminal family tie- ties. I think what they like to see is, you know, her growth up and out of it because, you know, she learned a lot. My, my, my own protagonist, protagonist Brandy, um, she learned a lot from her mom and dad and she learned a lot about her future enemy. I mean, uh, you know, I think it was uh, Tao uh, in uh, Art of War. He said, know thy enemy. And, you know, she knew their motivations. She knew what they were like. She knew what they went after. She, she knew all that stuff. She grew up in it. It was, it was her lifestyle. And so right. for her to go join the other guys that are against her, she's a valuable, valuable asset because she understands pirates. I mean, in my book, she goes and she claims this pirate ship to go combat other pirates. And she does it because, you know, the, the whole concept of honor among thieves, her her mother made every one of those guys promise that she ever returned. The Red Witch was hers and she could do with it what she will. Well, they all fell right in the line as soon as she showed up. And uh, <laughs> she understood that because that's the lifestyle she came from. So, you know, and I think sometimes that's really necessary. I mean, you see that in the Bible, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul. Yes. He, <laughs> he, he, he persecuted the church. He persecuted the church. He he was he was involved in execution of Christian believers. But then when he got witnessed to by the Lord on the way to Samaria, he got born again and he became one of the greatest apostles ever lived. And, you know, but he knew his enemy. You know, he knew those guys. He knew them like the inside. He knew what the, he knew. Yeah, and he was a great asset to the church after that. So there you go. There's a good example. 
That's a good example. So the compromising allure of the pirate lifestyle of centuries ago, tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, uh, back in the 17 and 1800s, the 18th and 19th century, uh, some of the militaries, the navies, were um, downsizing. And because there just wasn't that much war going on in the Caribbean, lines were pretty much drawn. Everybody knew whose territory was what. You know, the Britons, the the British Empire wasn't sending an armada in to go combat the uh, uh, the Spanish Empire. Um, the United States had uh, pretty much established themselves as a naval power by then. So, you know, it wasn't as easy to get. You know, it wasn't as appealing to get into it getting closer to the civil war as it was in the 17 and 1800s where, you know, these guys would leave the military and they'd think, well, what do I do? You know, I'm a sailor. I got to make a living. Why don't I go become a privateer? And that's what they call themselves. They call themselves privateers. There's a couple of English lords that actually became privateers back then, which were basically pirates. You know, what they would do is they would say, okay, we won't prey on anything but Spanish ships or, you know, ships coming from France or Portugal um, and then those guys that were Spanish descent, well, we won't prey on anything but English ships. But, you know, they weren't officially tied to their native countries, so nobody could blame them. So there was a lot of money to be made. You know, a lot, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of wealth, wealth to be had, you know, and plus, you know, in the, uh, in the Caribbean, you had the whole sugar market, which mm-hmm. was huge in the world. I mean, it was just, there was, you know, in our way of thinking, there were billions and billions of dollars to be made. With the sugar market, you know, the way we think now, you know, back the way we millions. think, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so on our scale of thing, but you know, just the money was just there, and it was, it was, it was, it was uh, right for the picking. So you know, becoming privateers was a uh, was an option for these guys. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, why do you write about heroes often imperfect? where they have to overcome flaws, make tough choices, and deal with moral challenges. I think that's where um, everybody really learns how to connect with their protagonist. And I think that really helps a reader do that. Because um, one of my favorite superheroes growing up was Superman. Okay. Okay. But, <laughs> but the problem with Superman, the biggest problem with Superman is that if you didn't have kryptonite in there, you really couldn't do anything because he was Superman. He was invulnerable. He was faster than light. He had everything. So if you if there was nothing that could hurt him, then you know what. So every 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 story you have about Superman, and I I, I still like watching DC comics and stuff like that. You got to have some form of kryptonite in there, you know. And that that's his that's his that's his. Uh, his Achilles heel. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with 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 you know, people in and in, in want to develop their stories, you know, everybody's gotta have a growth cycle that they gotta go through to make them interesting to you and me. Otherwise, right. you know, how can I connect with somebody who's just perfect all the time? I, I can't. You know, I just I know I'm not perfect. I know I have flaws. I can't you know, I can't there's no way I could ever be Superman. You know, there's just you know, <laughs> the only one thing that can hurt me is a rock from another planet. Um, but, you know, like Brandy, she had her rage issues she, that, her, that, that her mother 
fomented and encouraged. Uh, I have other books where I, I deal with the rage issue, like uh, the Legend of Deputy Jim and the Commander, really dealing deep with the the whole rage issue, and uh, how they have to overcome it and have to learn how to control it so that they can accomplish what they need to accomplish. And so I think that really helps to the reader get involved with the story. Well, hey, I want to see where this is going. You know, is she right. going to get over this? Is she going to, is she going to stop blowing up at him? You know, um, right. Is she going to finally do what he says? Stuff like that. I think that just helps people connect. So what happens to Brandy at the end? Or well, I don't, want to, give, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but um, okay. it, it does have a very, <laughs> it does have a very positive ending. Um, okay. And, and it also leaves room for another story. So. Okay. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave it at that. Cause I'm reading okay. The book so I just thought I'd try to like pull mm -hmm. that out because she's so interesting so tell me how can we escape our past no matter how much we change and transform ourselves there's a good scripture in the bible saying forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before and that's really the key um you know I can do absolutely nothing about my past as far as going back and changing it. All I can do is something about my future. And I think that's where people can really see change is when they just leave the past in the past. Um, if, if, if you've got some amends to make, if you've got some debts to pay, fine, do it. But mentally, emotionally, you have to leave it. You have to walk away from it. And the only way you can do that is not by thinking about walking away from it and leaving it, but thinking about what's ahead. You know, it's like, uh, say, like you're trying to give up the habit of eating hamburgers. And all I ever talk to you is about how bad hamburgers are and how terrible they're for you. And I don't, I don't have anything against hamburgers. I'm just, <laughs> but uh, right. if all I'm talking to you about is hamburgers, that's all you're going to think about. But to help you get over hamburgers, let me introduce you to all the wonderful salads that are available in the world. We got Greek salad. We got, we got, uh, you know, tossed salad, we got chef salad, we got all these wonderful salads. Some of these salads have some wonderful fruit in them. Like this morning, I just had this really nice salad that I put some fresh picked strawberries in and oh, just so juicy and wonderful. And, and boy, I just crunch into that, that fresh lettuce and all those different greens in there. And I, I, I crunch into that strawberry and it just explodes in my mouth with all that wonderful taste. Now, the whole time that I said that, did you once think about a hamburger? No. Yeah. No. And that's how people can move on. Focus on the future, not on the past. So that's, that's what I try to write in my books is, you know, just looking at the goal. Like Brandy wanted to rescue John and she wanted to be with John for the rest of her life. And it didn't matter what was in pe her past holding her back. She had to get to the future. Hmm. Very interesting. That's some good advice because I need to take that for myself. Because sometimes I do find myself things that I went through in the past and they affected me a little different you know how you can go through something and it can just roll off your shoulder yeah then you can go through something that's a little traumatic mm -hmm. and it sticks with you so it may be something that you come to experience and it reminds you of a similar issue and then mm -hmm. you tend to back up and so I'm learning how to say things in a more positive way to myself so I can overcome that what? That fear. Yeah. And I think like, you know, just 
focusing on something that's more exciting and more appealing to you than that negative thought is the way to walk away from it. I think that's just, I think that's just a proven principle. You know, the find something that's more appealing, more exhilarating and, and will, uh, you know, envelop your mind mm-hmm. more than that negative and then focus on that. And, you know, that's, that's what I try to do with my, my, um, protagonists is they, they see what they need to get to. And this past just can't hold them back because what's in front of them is more important and it's more exciting and it's more, it's more, it's more, um, profitable and it has more to give. It's like, you know, sometimes we can live off a negative feelings, just like we live off a positive feelings. They can feed us just as much, but they're not, yeah. it's not good food. It's not good food. It's bad food. <laughs> it's bad so, food. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. I do agree. And that, that's the conversation we have to have next time. Because <laughs> okay. we could talk about that. And I think that's very, very important because um, in within the foundation, you know, like the girls, they come with some issues and in trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for me and you to say, you know, you got to start thinking positive. You have to, you know, think of strawberries instead of thinking of lemons if it's mm-hmm. sour, you know. Right. But I come to the fact where I make it out of something cynical and jokely. Okay, let's take all those lemonade, uh, take all of that, all that lemon and make lemonade. And they kind of laugh and everything. So I think that's good. And even for myself, because Mm -hmm. I have came a long ways from going through a lot of obstacles and challenges and everything. And I'm very passionate about my foundation and helping girls and helping young women as well. Um, We need more of that so we can focus and to understand that we can't let society guide and tell us what we need to do where we're losing ourselves. And I just Mm. feel that way. I just feel that we are all Jesus jewels, especially girls, and we need to think that way so we can feel that way can i um i share with you an old indian proverb my dad shared with me when i was a kid yes i think it goes right on okay um little boy sitting outside the teepee and his father comes out and sits down with him and he just the little boy just got in trouble for misbehaving and he looks at his father and he says dad i don't understand why i do bad things i don't understand why i misbehave i don't want to and the dad looks at him and he goes son in every one of us there lives two dogs there's an evil, mean dog, and there's a kind, obedient dog. And we just have to listen to the kind, obedient one. And he goes, Dad, how do I make sure I listen to the kind, obedient one and not the evil one? He says, you'll listen to the one you feed. Mm. You know? Yes. And that's yes. A, isn't that neat? Yeah. My dad told me that when I was a very young man. Absolutely. Well, we are at our time, but is there anything else that you would like to share with us and tell us what's next? Well, um, like I said, I'm working on a, a sequel to Brandy. It's gonna—I'm I'm still messing around with the uh, title, but it's going to be something along the lines of Sentinels or Guardians in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, and my next book coming out is. Uh, a book called Magi Apprentice, and it's about the uh, wise men of Matthew chapter two and um, how they uh, 
made it to Jerusalem to see the baby Jesus. And that's a whole different story someday we can get into. But um, okay. you can find my works at on my website, danehendrickson.com. And, uh, you know, with all my uh, interviews and awards and stuff that th- those books have won over the years, you can find it all there. And my books are on Amazon and they're also in uh, Barnes and Noble. They're all they're in Kindle and Nook and they're in Apple and a couple other places, too. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, listeners, I have reached my destination. I am a award winning author of the new book, A Journey of a Sapphire. And I also hope to inspire girls all over the world to never give up on your dreams, but most importantly, how to recognize behavioral problems. You can purchase my book at journeyofasapphire.com, also available on Kindle Fire. And I leave you with this quote. To be yourself in a world that is consistently trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. Do have a wonderful day. Thank you again. And God bless. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you for listening to All Roads 65 Max Radio with Pamela Henderson. Join us every other week on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio Station One. And please visit allroads65max.org and become a volunteer or sponsor and be the change you want to see in this world. With your help, we can make a difference in our society and uplift those who so desperately need our help. Thank you for tuning in.